Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to Gospel Saving Church. Praise God. I'm so glad you're here. Whether you're actually in Gospel Saving Church or you're coming to us from SoundCloud or uh, Internet application, anywhere all over the world, welcome. God bless you, and thank you for being here. If, if you chose to do so, and if you're hearing me right now, then you chose to take time out of your day and focus and tune in to the Word of God. Because you know, and, I, and, and praise God, God knows who you are, the, all the faithful remnant that are out there that are tuning in every week, God knows who you are, and He knows that you won't settle for anything but His truth. Not the other false truths that are out there in the world today, but this is gospel-saving church, one of God's true churches that preaches the true Word of God. And this is our weekly broadcast. Thank you and welcome again. Anyway, if you guys want to join me with a word of prayer, please. We, we always ask the Lord because I know that I can't do this on my own and we certainly know that I don't teach you. Jesus says that the Holy Spirit teaches all of us and it's not me. I'm just a vessel. So let's ask God to help us understand. Lord, thank you for bringing us here. Thank you for your word, God, for we know that your word is a lamp into our feet and a light into our path, Lord. We know that your word, Lord, is our truth, Lord God. Many people in the world, Lord God, have their own truths, which they make up for themselves, Lord God. But Lord, we, as your chosen people, Lord, we, the ones whom have obeyed your calling, Lord God, our truth is your truth, Lord God, in your word is our truth. We just thank you so much, Lord God, that you've brought us here. And we ask you, Lord God, to please illuminate us. Help us to understand what you have to say to us today. Help us to make sense of all the things that you've given me over these last seven days, including today, Lord God. That every day, Lord God, you know that I labor in the word and in doctrine. Help us to understand by your Holy Spirit, Lord God. And let us not leave the same. Help us to leave changed, even me. Lord God, I pray your word would penetrate our hearts, Lord God. And the truth of your word would penetrate our hearts, Lord God, and change us and make us more radical and more in love with you. Thank you so much. And we praise you. And we ask all these things in the name, in the precious and holy name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So you can turn now to Acts. We're going to be in chapters 3 and 4, the rest of 3 with the beginning of 4, and that's where we're going to be today. And I won't read them or teach them until after my thoughts from last week's message, The Lame, Lazy Man. Last week I talked to you about the meeting between the two apostles, Peter and John, and the lazy, lame man, who was begging for money daily outside the temple at, remember, the gate beautiful. That's important for today. So he could support himself. And I also talked to you about the miracle that was done to give him what he really needed. The real helping hand up that he needed, not the hand out that he was looking for. And I talked to you quite a lot, quite a lot about how I, I've met a lot of lame, lazy people in my life as a Christian that, have gone, that could have gone to work and that I've met them in my life and they've wanted others to support them and and yet, you know, they don't want to do the godly thing and get a J-O-B, uh, but rather they'd live in a sinful life where they don't want to work and they want to be lazy, mooching off of others instead of doing what's right. And I went on quite a tirade about how I don't really support these kind of people by giving them stuff or money because this enables them to be comfortable in an ungodly lifestyle. Well, with all this said, I really feel like I have something to say on this. Because I I really feel like, you know, if you don't know me that well, maybe you could be judging me. And and if you do, you do. Okay, if you don't know my heart on this, if you couldn't tell my heart on this from last week, then you're going to judge me. And and I'm I'm sorry about that. But I I have something to say. I, I really hope you don't think I hate or despise these types of people or I'm being mean or cruel towards them because of my stance that these that people and me including shouldn't support their ungodly lifestyles because I really don't hate them. I really don't despise them. In fact, I love them and I care about them and that's why I don't support them. You see, I actually have a different idea on on the subject really. I see those, it's a little bit strange, you may may never heard this before, but I actually see that if we support these people, then we actually would be hating them and despising them. And I see that I I rather show them love by not supporting them, and and I'm going to show you 
Why? You, you may say, how could I say that, Pastor Ed? That's, how could you say that you're, you're being right in not helping them live their ungodly lifestyles? Well, here's, listen to this. For one, the practice of this lifestyle is sinful. Right? It's ungodly. It's unrighteous. And Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 7 that anyone who practices unrighteousness shall not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Not that we all won't sin here or sin there, but those who live a practice of a sinful lifestyle. And I don't care what you profess out of your mouth. You will not go to heaven if you practice a sinful lifestyle. So for starters, by you or me or anybody helping these people live an ungodly lifestyle who don't want to work and they only want to hand out, you're actually helping them into hell. Bet you never thought about it like that before, did you? You are actually helping them go to hell. You're helping them with an ungodly, sinful lifestyle. You're an accessory to their sin. Wow. And you see, necessity is the mother of invention. What does that mean? Well, when you have a need, when you have a need, when you want to need to have something, usually then that makes you create Something that'll fix your need. And if everyone stopped helping people like the lame, lazy man who we read of in Scripture last week, the ones like this today, then they would get awfully hungry and awfully thirsty really quick. And you know what those tools could be? Those could be tools that would motivate them to do the right thing. And if think about this, if nobody supported their sinful lifestyle, and again, I'm not talking about the people that are really wanting just help just to get up out of their situations. I'm talking about the people that I've met on downtown on Dallas or they've been there for years and they're not looking at getting up out of their situation. They only want you to support them and make you feel sad. That's the type of people that we're talking about here. And so I say nobody supported them. No person Not you, not me, no business, no government, not even national, not even state, not even local. Guess what? They'd be forced to find a way to survive because generally people don't want to perish. People don't want to perish. When God was talking to Job, or I'm sorry, when God was talking to Satan in the book of Job, Satan said something real interesting to God. He said, man will give all that they have for their life. And that's true. People don't generally want to die. So they'd be forced to find a way to survive because they don't want to die. And probably for most of them, that's something they do to survive would be to get their lives together. There's the invention because of the necessity of the possibility of starving to death because they got no food. So you'd actually be helping them by not helping them. It's kind of reverse to what our culture believes today. But you know what? I could say all these things, but to me, and I talk about this with a brother, if it has no scriptural support, then it really is just a man's idea. But guess what? We got scriptural support for this one. Luke 14, 14 through 17, we read of a story of the prodigal son. And we read this. We, although he was not in the same lazy, lame man situation, we still read the same principle. Luke 14, 14 through 17. Remember, he decided to run away into an ungodly lifestyle. But when he had spent all, verse 14, there arose a severe famine in that land and he began to be in want. Look at that. There's the the, the necessity. I wonder how he's going to invent. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of the country, which is, that's a good thing, right? And 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 he sent him into his field to feed the swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate. And no one gave him anything. Wow. Well, what's what's he going to do? What's the conclusion? What's the answer to his problem of starving because not even the evil citizen that he joined himself to in the world would feed him? The invention for his necessity was verse 17. But when he came to himself, man, what am I doing? I'm starving out here. I'm going to die. Holy camoli. He said to himself, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare? I will perish with hunger. So he realized, nobody's helping me. I better get my life back together. I better get up out of this bad situation and do something for myself. I better do something about it. And it motivated him to get up out of his situation and get right. And really what he did was, he was getting right with his father, who we know in the story is God. 
And he was the runaway son who was running away from God, right? And so that led him not only to get his life right, get himself back up and back into his father's house, but it led him to get right with God. So if everyone stopped supporting the willfully lame, lazy person of our day who refused to work, being a burden to others, begging for money, it would easily help them to see the error of their sinful path they have chosen and help them to turn to God for the real help they need because that's what those people out there really need. They look to man to support them, but man can only give just, you know, a few crumbs. Really, they can't really su- supply what they need. What they really need, what they're really searching for is a relationship with God, a real relationship with God. And they need to change and get out of their, get out the path of their unrighteousness and find the path which leads to life. And of course, we know that that's in Jesus Christ. All right. Well, that's all for what I had to say. If you want to judge me, you can, but I, I ask you to, I implore you to think about what I'm saying and think about that. You're helping them. And I don't want that to do. I love those people too. And I don't want those people that are in that, even though they're in that ungodly lifestyle, I don't want them to go to hell, but that's where they're headed. So think about that. Think about that. Anyway, onto our new message for today. Title of our new message today, The Purpose of Miracles. Again, the title, The Purpose of Miracles. We're going to read Acts 3, 11 through 26, and then 1 through 4 of Acts 4. I know it's quite a bit of a lot today, but I almost think sometimes I shouldn't read, but you know what? I think the Word of God is so valuable that I just love reading the Word of God, and I think we all should. So I'm just going to read it anyway. I may add another minute and a half onto the sermon, but I think the Word of God is worth it. So let's read Acts 3, 11 through 26, and 4, 1 through 4, shall we? And then I'll teach it. Verse 11 of chapter 3 says this. Now as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's greatly amazed. So when Peter saw it, and he, he responded to the people, Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently at, at us as though by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and Just One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and killed the Prince of Life whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. And his name, through faith in his name, he made this man strong whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. You now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance, as did your rulers. But those things which God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets and the Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and be converted, and your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the time of restoration for all things which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. For Moses truly said to the fathers, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brother, and him you shall hear in all things, whatever he says to you. And it shall be that every soul who will not hear that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. Yes, and all the prophets from Samuel and those who follow, as many as who have spoken also have foretold these days. You are sons of the prophets, and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying to Abraham, and, and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. To you first God, having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning every one of you from iniquities. Now as they spoke to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and, and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly dis- disturbed uh, that they taught the people and preached in Jesus, the resurrection from the dead, and they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. So today we're studying the after effects or the events that take place after God uses Peter to do the miracle healing on the lame man to give him the literal helping hand up that he needed. Remember at first when the Jews in the temple see the lame man up walking around, right? They're, they're, they recognize who he is and they're really flabbergasted. They're frozen. They're like, oh, what, what, just, what just happened? They're, they're just in shock. 
Well, as we see here in verse 11, look what he says. Uh, verse 11 says, Now as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John. So, so he was actually running along with them, holding on to their robes or holding on to their arms. All the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. So the people get over their shock. These frozen, amazed, flabbergasted people, they come together where John and Peter are and the healed man are to get an up-close personal look at the lame man. And they, because guess what? They want to find out why this happened. They want to find out, hey, how did this guy start walking again? And they come to the apostles and the ex-lame man in a place at a temple called Solomon's Porch, also known in other parts of the scripture called Solomon's Porch. Portico. Okay? Solomon's porch or portico was located on the east side of the temple. This was Herod's temple, not Solomon's temple, okay? And it was a long colonnade behind the holy place, and it was primarily used in history, hint, 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 for teaching. That's going to be important. Keep that in mind. It's, it was commonly used in, in the history for teaching, which means that after the miracle happened, Peter and John and ex-lame, ex-lame men walk from the gate beautiful. So that's about right here on the outer wall. And here's the temple over here and Solomon's porch is behind this way. I'm sorry, you guys online can't see this, but you could look up a picture online. That's I, I Googled this. And they walk from the gate beautiful here, all the way across the temple, the temple court and all the temple places and all, actually around the temple, all the way to Solomon's portico on the very back part of the, the temple mount. So do you realize what they did? They did this on purpose. They did this on purpose for a reason. Remember, they went there for the hour of prayer. They didn't go there to preach. Yet, they went to the place where people were technically wanting to learn and where people would teach them, and that was for a reason. That Apostles knew that something amazing had just happened, see? And from their experiences, when Jesus, when he did amazing miracles like this one, they knew that the masses were going to come together and inquire about what happened. And so, what better place to go with the masses coming to them than the place people were used to getting taught in the temple, right? And that's, that was purposeful. They did this on purpose. It was genius that they did this, but it was on purpose. And it makes really, if we see this, it makes the miracle happening, the result of the miracle leading to what? Leading to the teaching. It didn't lead, the miracle didn't lead to glorification of the disciples, the apostles. And the miracle didn't lead to the glorification of the miracle. The miracle led to the teaching of, we're going to, I'm not going to spoil that. So the amazed people, apostles and the excellent men are all together. And apostles had the people right where they want them. And look what they do next. Look at verse 12. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Why do you look so intently at us as though by our own power, godless, we've made this man walk? Peter begins to teach them. Wow, look at that. What an amazing thing. They go to the place where people are taught because guess what? They didn't go there to pray. They went there to preach. Peter begins to teach them. Ironic. He went there on purpose. Verse 12, look at this sermon. We're going to call it Peter's second sermon because he had his first already on the day of Pentecost. He responds to the people and addressed them saying, as in first sermon, men of Israel. And then he begins to preach. And in my opinion, he starts with a pretty stupid question to begin with. Look at this first question. And I'm not mocking Peter. I just think it's a dumb question. He says this, why do you marvel at this? Referring to the miracle. I mean, come on, sir. Well, we're marveling because there's a man that got up and walked and he was at the temple gate beautiful and now he's walking. Well, what are you talking about? Why are you asking us? Why are we marveling? Of course we're marveling because of this miracle. I, that's what they could have said, right? I mean, Peter, I, I know he said something dumb. I, I've said some dumb things in sermons before. He, he just was throwing it out there. But he, he says something smarter uh, than next. He says this, why look so intently at us? As by our own power or godliness, we made this man walk. This is a much better second statement of his second sermon, and a hundred thousand percent true. Peter deflects. They're looking at him and John in an honored and praised way because of the miracle and says, you're looking at us as if we had something to do with this. 
we're not holy. We're, we're Paul, we're going to read that in a little bit. We have a sinful nature just like you, as Paul says in Acts. We're going to read that section in a little bit. We're just like you. Why, why are you looking at us? We, we didn't, we, our power, we didn't make, make this man walk. And Peter says, hey, don't look at us. We didn't heal this man. It wasn't us. We didn't heal him. You see, no matter the miracle or healing done by the child of God's hand, or, or uh, the child by the child of God's hands, right? Our hands, if if God does a miracle right through us, it's not us or them that actually does the miracle. We're just the vessel, right? We're just the one whom it's done through. We're not the one that it comes from. The power to heal, the power to do a miracle, does not originate within us, right? Where does the holiness and power come from to do a miracle? Peter tells us next, look at verses 13 and 14. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murder to be granted to you and killed the Prince of Life whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. I don't really know if you realize what Peter just did here, but I'm going to break it down. Peter deflects their praise of him and John. He says, oh, not us, not us. Don't, don't bow down to us for any credit for the miracle done at all. And points them to, if you look at that scripture, God was first, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, their sin second. Look what you did, sinners. You were guilty. You're sinners. Look to God. And then you know what he did third and fourth? He pointed them to Jesus Christ and the gospel. Ooh, to Jesus Christ and the gospel. Look at here. But you denied the Holy One and the just, talking about Jesus, and asked for a murder to be granted you, and killed, that's what Jesus did, Jesus lived, Jesus died, whom God raised from the dead. That's the gospel, right? Peter preached God, their sin, Jesus Christ and the gospel. And that's what the miracle brought. What is Peter ultimately doing here by deflecting their praise? Well, he moves their attention from the miracles and, and those whom they think did the miracle and used the incident of the miracle to talk to them about the most holy God and his son, Jesus Christ and the gospel. Remember I told you last week, the two main reasons why God allows miracles, because we see the first one here. First, the main reason was and is for God to get people's attention so that he could show them the way to eternal life in his son, Jesus Christ. And again, that's exactly what Peter uses this miracle to do right here. Look at what Jesus says in John chapter 10, verses 37 and 38. He says, this, if I do not do the works of my father, don't believe me. But if I do, though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and believe what? So believe the miracles I do so that you may believe what? Oh, that, uh, that uh, oh, the, this, that, and the other thing? No, 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 no. That you may believe the Father is in me and I am him. I am the Christ. And I've come for you and for you and for him and for her. That's why I want you to believe in me. So many people and so many preachers have put so much emphasis on the miracles of Christ and those whom God grants the gift of miracles and healings to. But sadly, they've missed the whole boat as to the importance and the purpose, the real reason the miracles are even important. The miracles weren't done through or by Peter or John or any other of the disciples or by me today so that attention or praise could be brought to them or me or to show the people how great we are, which is exactly what Peter says here. Hey, don't look at me. I know you saw what just happened, but don't look at me. Hey, I'm, I'm act like I'm not even here. I, I heard a song uh, just the other day, I think I listened to it this morning again, where, where the guy that was singing was talking about, I just want to be a reflection of the sun. I just want to be a reflection of the sun. And that's all Peter's saying here. Hey, I'm just a reflection of the sun, guys. I, I'm not the one that actually did anything. Look to God. No, the main purpose for, re, for, for miracles, God's main purpose for miracles to be done through people as vessels was to get the attention of the lost to reveal to them who Jesus Christ really was, what he did for them, and the biggest reason, of course, you're going to get a kick out of this, trying to get people to turn to Christ and be saved from their sins, as you will see as we continue on in the section, because Peter preaches three times. Come not once, 
not twice, but three times on repentance. In this one section of scripture, because this, even though it's a lot of sections of verses, it's all one idea, right? They're all preaching. It's all one sermon. And the result of the sermon are the, you know, the people of the temple come and they get angry. And it's all one thing, even though it's a lot of verses. But even though it's a lot of verses, it's still only one sermon and three times to talk about repentance in one sermon. That's, that's even a lot, maybe even for me, but not for Peter. Remember the second reason for miracles, God helping his kids with a need and helping strengthen their faith. God building up his body. These are the two main reasons for miracles. But even the purpose of miracles for God's kids was never, not even today, to bring exaltation or praise to the one uh, who did the miracle, or God did the miracle through, never, rather to glorify God and bring people to Him, and to help us have strong faith in Him as God's kids. There's been a lot of abuse in this area throughout the years from those whom God has gifted to do this work. Because God does have specific giftings for certain people to do this work. Paul tells us about this. He says, to some are granted this, to some are granted that, to some are granted this, and to some are granted miracles and healings and things like that. Not that every Christian, God can't do a miracle through anybody, but there are specific people whom God gives this gift to, to do these miracles and these healings, right? And I'm I'm actually afraid through what I've seen, at least since I've been alive, that those many of those who have had this gift from God have actually turned away from God because they've received too much praise and glory from man because of the gift. I mean, just look. I mean, some of those miracles that you hear about and see, they're real, but look who's getting the praise. Man's getting the praise. God's not getting the praise. I mean, just just look, just look. You got to open your eyes, it's, it's, but it's out there. Uh, this is definitely something that the child of God who has this gift from God has to be a guard against absolutely as a snare because boy oh boy do people want to exalt the healer whoo boy and it's always been that way remember the apostle paul of the vessel in acts 14 8 through 18 which does an almost identical miracle notice in this section acts 14 8 through 18 why paul does this miracle i'm going to point things out as he's doing this miracle and notice what he does because nothing's by chance here Paul does everything for a reason. I want you to know what he does and how he calls attention. And I want you to see what he does. And notice the tone and how it says he says these things. Look at this, 14, 8 through 18. It says this. And in Lystra, a certain man without strength in his feet was sitting. So, you know, his feet, legs. I mean, it was feet, not legs. But it was, again, almost an identical miracle. A cripple from his mother's womb, that's the same, who had never walked. This man heard Paul speaking, Paul observing him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed, unlike the lazy lame man that we looked at from last week, said with a loud voice. Why would you say in a loud voice with, was it to keep it quiet? Hmm. Or was it to let everybody there know what you were doing? He wasn't, Paul wasn't doing anything in disguise. He said with a loud voice, stand up straight on your feet. And he leaped and walked. Now, when the people saw what people had done, well, I wonder how the people saw what he did. Well, that's right. He spoke with a loud voice. He did it on purpose to get the people's attention. They raised their voices saying in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. And Barnabas, they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. They immediately exalted the one who did the miracle immediately and they called them gods wow Woo, that's that's pretty intense then the priest of zeus whose temple was in front of their city brought oxen and, and garlands to the gates intending to sacrifice with the multitudes they were going to sacrifice to paul wow but when the apostles barnabas and paul heard this they tore their clothes which was an ancient jewish thing they tore their clothes to show their disapproval and they ran in among the multitude crying out and saying men why are you doing these things look what the miracle leads to We are also are men with the same nature as you, that'd be a sinful nature, and preach to you, here we go, the miracle brought a sermon. Wow. We preach to you that you should turn from these useless, useless idols to the living God. Repentance. 
Turn from these useless idols to the living God who made the heaven and the earth, the sea, and all things that are in them, who in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he did not leave himself without a witness and that he did good. Uh, gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And, and with these things, they could scarcely restrain the multitudes from sacrificing to them. He says in a loud voice, getting everybody's attention, the miracle brings everybody together. I seem like I've heard that before. That's happened somewhere. Oh, yeah, that's right. Acts chapter 3 and 4. That's right. And then once all the people together, even though they were doing an ungodly thing, Paul preaches and he tells them, turn to the living God away from these idols. The miracle brought a sermon. Wow. And did you see, though, sadly, how easy it would have been for Paul and Barnabas to receive their praise? Ooh, boy. That made, I'm sure that made the flesh feel real good. Oh, man. They called them as gods? Oh, man. They Barnabas. Oh, my. no. They didn't. For one second, though, they didn't. They may have entertained it because I'll tell you, they were men like us, right? And I know that if people were wanting to call me a god, there wouldn't be a moment that I'd be like, hmm. Really? You're going to lift me up as a god? Man, these big people, they start donating to me, and they'd probably give me my own temple. Well, no, no, no. Hey, repent. Turn from that evil and wicked stuff. You know that it had to be a temptation for Paul, and it would have been easy. But Paul turns from it, and he says, no, 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 no. The child of God, gifted to be the vessel whom God works miracles by, must be careful to not receive that praise from the people, because the people are going to bring it. And he must redirect it to God and his salvation in Christ, the main reason for the miracle. Christians, be careful. Peter goes on in his second sermon to tell them a little bit more about why the miracle was done. Look at here, verses, or verse 16. And his name, he says this, and his name about how the miracle happened, Jesus Christ, through faith in his name, now notice that, faith in Jesus Christ's name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him. So you see there, even the faith that heals comes from and through Christ, not even through and from us, has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. So not only is the vessel not supposed supposed to get any glory from being the one that God worked through to do the miracle here, but here we read that all the vessel is supposed to do is to be available, really we'll say, to be available to God to do the miracle is to just have faith. In the name of Jesus Christ. God, I know that you can do this. I believe that you can. And he said here, even that the faith that you're going to have to do the miracle isn't even going to come from you or me. Isn't that great? We don't have to be the author or originator of anything. All we have to do as Christians that love God is be available that the miracle would be done through us to have faith to be available. Jesus Christ gets all the glory here, not man, and not the miracle. And the miracle was done through faith, and the faith that God gave the vessel, Peter, which is just total trust in God, able to do the miracle. Hey, is anything too hard for you, God? Kind of attitude. Is anything, God, I know that you can heal my mother. Is anything too hard for you, God? Not, not Nothing at all. So should the vessel by which God uses to perform the healing or the miracle itself get any credit? Never. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Zero. Did you notice in what Peter said here, the actual miracle is not even his focus? No. It was to give the glory for the miracle to the one that it is due, Jesus Christ, and to speak of the faith for the miracle that even came through Jesus Christ. Notice who got everything here. Same as Paul says, Colossians 1.18, and he, Jesus Christ, is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that all thing, that in all things he may have the preeminence. That means in all things, no matter what, Jesus Christ should get first billing. The evidence here even furthers the idea that the purpose of the miracle was to turn people to Jesus Christ because he should be first in everything, for that is his right and his due. Look at what Peter says next with the stage. Because, you know, this miracle gave Peter and John a great stage 
to do this miracle, right? Or to, do, to talk to these people. That's what the miracle brought. It brought uh, people amazed and then it gave them a stage. People came together and then they could speak. Look at verses 17 and 18. Yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance, speaking of now how they killed Jesus Christ without knowing who he really was, as did your rulers, same for their rulers. But those things which God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets that the Christ would suffer, what did he do? Pointing them to Jesus Christ, the suffering Messiah and servant, Isaiah 53, further helping them to believe that Jesus was the Christ of God. He has thus fulfilled. God brought it to pass in Christ. Notice Peter didn't even mention the miracle of the ex-lame men here, not once. And and ironically, I looked this up and I even like double and triple checked myself here. It's pretty cool. Peter doesn't even mention the miracle one more time in the whole sermon. Not even all the way through Acts 1 or 4, 1 through 4, he doesn't bring up the miracle once again. We'll see next week he's going to bring up the miracle again, but what is it going to do? He's going to be now preaching to the rulers of the synagogue, and he uses the miracle again as another stage to preach to them. But I don't want to get ahead of myself. Peter does that in this message we're going to see here. But here, and and I can point you to it, I'm not going to read it today, there's not time, but you can go to Acts 53 where Peter points out the Christ, which it's a huge compass to Jesus. You can't but read Isaiah 53 and not see Jesus the Christ and what he did for mankind. You, You just can't not see it. And here, that's what the miracle led to. It led them to, hey, go check out Isaiah 53. He is the suffering servant. And it was pointing them right to Jesus. Next, uh, Peter gives us the end game of why God healed the lame man through the vessel Peter and why he still does miracles today. Peter, verse 19. Repent, therefore, and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. First, the miracle opened the door to give Peter the stage of the platform to proclaim that God was responsible for the miracle and not them, the apostles. Second, the miracle led the way for him to proclaim God's salvation, Jesus Christ, for Jesus Christ is God's salvation for mankind. Third, the miracle opened the door for them to hear that they were sinners separated from God because of their sin. You you can't have a good sermon without talking about sin, amen? You just can't have a good sermon. Peter here, talk about sin. Peter's sermons, talk about sin. Talk about repentance. It was basic first century preaching. Why don't we hear it today? Wow. Fourth, the miracle brought them the gospel message. Who he lived, whom you killed, whom God raised from the dead. And fifth and final, the miracle gave Peter the opportunity to tell these unrepentant sinners how to go about being saved from their sin that separated them from God Almighty. And he will do it, as I said, two more times in this message you're going to see. Repent, he says first. Turn to Jesus Christ and away from your thoughts of him as just a mere man and make him the Lord of your life, his way and not your way. And what does repentance do? The second thing he says, repent and be converted. True repentance will lead you to conversion. What is conversion? You're converted to become a new creature in Christ Jesus. To become, as Jesus said, a little child in your attitudes towards God. Just, just, just humble toward God. His way, not my way. His way. You know, God, I need you. I'm just putting all my faith in you. And then he goes on, two more awesome characteristics of repentance and conversion of the new changed life. He says these two things after those things happen. Their sins are blotted out after you repent and you truly become converted. Your sins are gone in God's eyes. You become holy. We just talked about that during communion today. You become holy in God's eyes. Perfect as if you never committed a sin. And then the second thing, times of refreshing will come from the Lord. Why why would you be refreshed after you repent and after you're converted? Well, because with no more sin, with no more burden of your sin, you're no longer a slave to sin. Your chains are gone. Hallelujah, right? And you will experience freedom like you've never experienced freedom before. Hey, that's why times of refreshing from the Lord are able to come. You're not before you're saved, before you're redeemed, before you're born again. You have no times of refreshing. 
You're laden and burdened with sins and there's no refreshing in your world. The only refreshing that you will find from the world will be from the world and will be for your sinful flesh and that only lasts so long. That's why you can look to the drug addicts and the alcoholics. What do they, they don't just take one drink. They have to keep drinking. And then they keep drinking and then that's not enough and then they have to drink some more and then that's not enough. They have to keep drinking some more and that's not enough and then they have to keep doing it because it's never enough. You're never truly refreshed, but when you come to Christ and when you repent and when you're converted, then true refreshing can come from the Lord and you can truly be free. And all of this awesome sermon came about because of the working of this miracle performed by one willing servant of God, Peter, who all he had to do was obey the leading of God and the Holy Spirit to do his work and obey Jesus Christ with the faith that God even supplied him to do the miracle. Notice again, I'll point it out again, not even one mention of the miracle here. The miracle served its purpose. Its purpose. It's, it wasn't the focus anymore in his sermon. And now it's time to hear about the spiritual healing. Right, The physical healing led to the stage for him to tell him about the supernatural, spiritual healing, the new life in Christ. Now look at verses 20 and 21. It gets a kind of a little little wobbly here, so I got some explaining to do here. I have to do a little teaching rather than a little preaching here. 20 and 21, he says this, And that he may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. Well, when you read these two verses right after 19 in the verse of repentance, you will find that there's absolutely no sense contextually to be made of them. He's, repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out and times of refreshment may come for the Lord uh, and that uh, he may send Jesus Christ who is preaching. But what? Huh? What, 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 Peter, why did, you, why did you say that? What are you talking about? God sending Jesus Christ to to them before that they was preached before doesn't make absolutely any sense after a call to repentance by Peter, does it? Not even the I, I, I was trying, I was praying, God, what, what are you saying here, God? Because these you know, Peter's just preaching the words of God here. And I'm like, God, what, what is Peter saying here? I, I don't understand it. But if we look at this section a little differently, I, I believe that I have an answer to what he was actually preaching about. You see, I believe here that Peter got ahead of himself in the excitement of the message. I know I've done the same thing. He was so excited to tell them of the new life in Christ, the repentance and conversion, that he, that he kind of jumped ahead on his message. So this is what God showed me. He showed me this. I'm going to read to you now verses 18, 20, and 21, skipping 19 just for a moment, not that it doesn't have a part in the sermon, but I'm going to do 18, 20, and 21 together without the section of repentance, and you're going to see something really amazing. Look look at this. I'm going to read them. You can, you can follow along with me if you'd like, and, and then think of how it makes sense and all when I'll put it all together, because sermons are like puzzles, Right? They gotta make sense. God's just not gonna say something that doesn't make sense. That, that's not God. That, that's the gods of the world say things that don't make sense. God, God says things that make sense. He's the God of order, not disorder. And so what I mean, it was, it wasn't like Peter was blaspheming God or anything here, but he was just so excited. You know, he was hearing from God. He just wanted to jump to repentance before he kind of backed off and, and gave the message. He's, look at this. Look at how it reads now with 18, 20, and 21. But those things which God foretold by the mouth of his prophets, all of his prophets, that the Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. So now think of Jesus suffering. 20. And that he may send Jesus Christ who was preached to you before. Send him where? Who heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. Now doesn't it make sense? Verses 18, 20, and 21 really all were the same topic of the details about Christ, not about repentance and conversion. And with these three verses put together, this is what Peter's saying. Peter's speaking about how Christ suffered and died and how God brought him home to heaven until his second coming where he's going to come back to earth, which was all, which also prophesied by God through the holy prophets since time began. 
Uh, that's really what the thing was. And then repentance, I think, should have come either right before or right after. But Peter, maybe probably after. But Peter, as he was, as he was thinking about these things, he said, oh, but repent. I, I want you to have new life. Please do, do it now. Have new, oh, yeah, yeah. And that Jesus Christ may be sent to force. So, you know, he, oh, he could do, fulfill what God told him to do. So really, when you, make, when you read it this way and you kind of see what happened to Peter here, this section makes perfect sense. I'm not digging Peter. I've done the same thing. Again, I just think he was so excited. Look what he, he was so excited about this message of turning to Christ that he even brings this repentance even after. And he describes it actually in, at, to the core. Look at verses 22 and 23. Uh, look at this is now the second time he's going to preach repentance. For Moses truly said to the father, so Moses was prophesying, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Now he said like me. He didn't say the prophet was going to be me, but just as the people held Moses in high regard and high honor, Moses said, he's going to send you a prophet like me, right? The Lord, you got to raise a prophet like me from your brother. And that means that we was going to send a prophet like him from the Jewish people, from the Jewish line. Him you shall hear in all things, whatever he says to you. When we go back to the Mount of Transfiguration, and Peter, James, and John are up on the Mount of Transfiguration, and they're all sitting there, and then the cloud of God overshadows, and the disciples fall down scared, and they're like, oh my gosh, what's going on? God says, hey, this is my beloved son. Hear him. Hear him. God was passing the mantle. To, hey, I know my words are important, but for salvation, for being a Christian, my new covenant, follow my son. His words now are the words that I want you to hear. And here, him you shall hear in all things, whatever he says to you. And it shall be that every soul who will not hear the prophet shall be utterly destroyed. You could say, really, he says, from among the people, but really, anybody that doesn't hear Jesus Christ will be destroyed eternally in hellfire. And what did he do? He just preached repentance again. Repentance is what? Turning away from you as your Lord and turning to what? Hear, or, or in other words, obey the teachings and th- what Jesus Christ said to do. This is repentance again, but it's really, in essence, what repentance is. You turning and not listening to you anymore and hearing him. And if you don't hear him, and people might say, well, Pastor Ed, that's not, how can you say that, that's, you know, if I just don't listen to Jesus? Well, here's why. Not that God's being cruel or mean or anything like that, but, but here's why. You see, we're sinners. And without Christ, apart from Christ, when we stand before God in judgment, he'll judge us on our righteous deeds. And that really will be our sinful deeds because we're all sinful, right? And we do sinful things. And without Christ, we can't do enough good deeds or good works to make it to heaven. So really, apart from Christ, not that we're not that God's being mean, oh, I'm going to destroy you because you don't follow my son. No, because Christ's atoning death sacrifice won't cover you. And therefore, when, God's, when you stand before God, God will judge you, not in Christ, he'll judge you apart from Christ. And if you don't hear him and you don't turn to him, you'll be judged for your sins and our sins. And oh boy, the Bible says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. And I would add to that scripturally, apart from Christ. It's a dangerous thing to fall into the hands of the living God apart from Christ. He describes repentance the second time here. If you reject the path of Christ and choose your own, then you reject his sacrifice for your sins. Wow, that is repentance. Look look at verses 24 through 26. Almost done. Uh, Yes, and he says, and all the prophets from Samuel and those who follow, as many who have spoken, has also foretold these days. Hey, these guys of ancient times, my prophets, my people of ancient times, hey, they all foretold these days of Christ. they They all foretold the days that you're living right now. Verse 25, you are the sons of the prophets. He's saying lineage-wise, hey, you guys are descended from them. You, these were your great, 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 your great-grandfathers. And of the covenant which God made with our father, saying to Abraham, and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And, the, and he's referring to God's promise to Abraham to choose or elect his physical descendants and how their race would be blessing the earth in, in Jesus Christ because we know that Jesus Christ came from the line of Judah, right? Jesus Christ was 
a Jew, and that's how the descendants of Abraham would bless the, the whole earth. And the whole earth, trust me, is blessed because Jesus Christ lived. For there is probably not a corner of the any of kingdom of mankind where there is not at least one true believer of Jesus Christ. For God has left a remnant. Verse 26, to you first. We know the Bible says that salvation came to the Jews first. Disciples don't know it yet, but it's coming to the Gentiles next. But he says here, to you first, God having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you. And look, repentance the third time. In turning away everyone from your iniquities, repentance again. This is the third time. What's the true sign of repentance? Turning every one of you away from your iniquities. Uh, there's a saying. When we truly get saved and born again, we don't become sinless perfectly like we'll never sin again but we sure do sin less and that is a true mark of a truly saved person is sin in their life will decrease righteousness will increase and following jesus christ will increase in the following of that righteousness again the third time peter preaches repentance in turning every one of you away from your iniquities and look at our last verses before we close look at verses one through four of chapter four look at the result of their preaching in the temple now, as they spoke to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed. Why? That they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. They were angry with them, but it wasn't because of their preaching the man's healing. Oh, man, this man's been healed. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, give us praise. Oh, look at the healing. Uh, eh. Sorry. They were mad at him because they were preaching Jesus Christ and the resurrection from the dead. Peter used the miracle as a stage to tell him of Jesus Christ. And after that, Peter only spoke of the miracle two times. And not to exalt the miracle, but God. And then verse 3, they laid hands on them and put them in custody. Then they put them in jail for what they did until the next day, for it was already evening. Uh, but that's okay, guys. That's okay, because guess what? The good godly damage had already been done for God's kingdom. Our last verse, verse 4. However, many of those who heard the word believed. And you know when it means believed here, it wasn't just a mental belief. After Peter preached repentance three times, they couldn't but help to repent that. True belief it means true faith. That's what the Bible says. A lot of people don't know that because they don't look any deeper at the word, but that word believe in Scripture really means true faith, not just a mental belief. Many heard the word and believed, and look, the number of the men came to be about 5,000, and that would be 5,000 more. I can't believe it, 5,000 more. The day of Pentecost, the church exploded from 120 to 3120, and now we read that it gained another 5,000 people. So the explosion of this outpouring of the Holy Spirit brought their congregation up to 8,000. 1,120 people. Wow. This is like a modern day mega church. But oh, hold on. This, this really gets me excited, especially because I've had this discussion with others. It was built on repentance instead of fanciful stories. So what does that do for me? Oh, that gives me so much hope that that can happen again. I believe that we can see a mega church again, but not built on fanciful stories and my hunting dog and how I went out and how I went to the store and got a pair of shoes and, you know, I took them home and then everybody liked me and I'm, eh. <laughs> right? I believe that a true mega church, God's mega church, can actually be built on repentance because it actually happened in Scripture. Think of it a first century church built on repentance at 8,100 people. Wow! Wow! And it can happen again. It can. Now, both these, bo both this second huge increase in believers and as well as the first huge increase of believers at Pentecost, as well as Peter's two powerful messages with him hammering repentance home like nobody's business, all came as a result of two huge miracles that Peter did and, and that gave him a stage and a platform all to do uh, without the miracles being the focus of his sermon. The miracles were not a focus of either sermon. The main purpose for the miracle in the sections we looked at today, along with Paul's, and even the reference that I gave to Pentecost and the miracle there, were all to get God, to get people's attention so that they could hear 
the offer of eternal life that God allows to everyone that will respond. Everyone, even if you don't respond, God wants you to hear it because he wants you to turn to Jesus Christ and surrender the lordship that you have of your own life unto Jesus Christ. And that's what we see here. Have you heard God's call and have you responded? Or are you hearing God's call today, maybe? Are you responding or are you rejecting? Because today, just like the first century now, I'm going to roll it right around because that's what the disciples did. I'm going to use the amazing miracles that I discussed today to direct your focus not to the miracles, but unto the main purpose for them happening, Jesus Christ. And for the new converted life that he offers to everyone that'll turn and obey. Many in our world today believe themselves to be saved and going to heaven when they die, but... I, I, I look and I look and I look, but I don't see any evidence in their attitudes or their lives of a converted life by God's Holy Spirit. I don't see people that claim to be Christians. I don't see them exhibiting life as a little child before God. I don't see them hungry to spend time with God. I don't see them concerned about, because a child is concerned about their family. And I don't see people that claim to be God's kids concerned about God's kingdom or about God or about his word or anything. And look, Jesus, Matthew 18, 3, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as a little child, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. The the, the folks that I've met, hundreds and thousands that supposedly are saved, their salvation doesn't seem to be biblical. Because there's no true repentance toward God and conversion of a new person. Where is, if you're listening to me, you need to judge yourself here. I'm just telling you what I see in Scripture. This is what Scripture says. This This is my standard for truth. I don't hold my standard of truth on me or you or you or the world, anybody. TV, the news, I hold it on God and His Word. And God in His Word says that unless you're converted and become like a little child, you'll, you won't enter the kingdom of heaven. And yet most I know that claim to be God's kids don't exhibit this converted lifestyle. Where is your new heart attitude and heart condition to obey God and, and, and your heavenly Father and His Son, Jesus Christ, and totally trust Him if you are His? Now, God's speaking to you now, not me, okay? Because these are his words. You, you oh, Pastor, right on. no, don't look to me. Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as a little child, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. That means that if you don't repent and you're not converted and you don't have an attitude, a hard attitude toward God, like being a thing, God's important, things of God are important, soft heart toward God, repentance, you know, living for him, then that means that you're not going to heaven. That's what Jesus said. That's not what I said. And then, of course, we know the Bible says that it's not just repentance one time, right? It's a lifestyle of repentance. You just don't become a child and then, you know, six months later you get to be an adult and then, oh, I just left that childhood behind. Jesus said, unless you convert it and become like a little child, he never said we grow up. We're supposed to stay in that way. So staying in this humility and relying on Christ and staying with this humble attitude of a, of, of a child's heart towards God, having total faith in him. And then, of course, after this, obeying God's words, striving to live a lifestyle that he told you to live, obeying his words, being the disciple daily that he wants you to be, and never turning away from him and after the things of the world as you did before you knew him. That's what he says we're supposed to do. That's what the word says. We can't leave that. Oh, I, I had that experience with God, Pastor. Oh, I was born again. I got, but you know, now, you know, I just, I had to, you know, I had to do my own, you know, I just, life's tough. You know, I had to do this and I had to do that. You know, I just had to do those things. Oh, but those things, God says, no, well, you know, I I think, I I think God's going to understand. I'll read one one more time. Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little as little children, it's present tense, become as little children. We never hear a moving away. You will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Where are you at with Jesus Christ today? Does a Christ-like life 
and humility and a child's heart towards God describe who you are? Does you striving to live a holy lifestyle according to God's word describe you? Obeying the teachings of Jesus Christ? Does that describe you? Or does sin? And I think, and well, this is my way, and you know, well, this is just what I believe, you know, and then, you know, you're in the club on Saturday night and in church on Sunday morning and and you know you're you're an alcoholic or or you're addicted to drugs or does that sound like you? Have you ever been converted and become a new creature in Christ Jesus, a new person from the person that you used to be, and are you still there today? Please answer these questions for yourself honestly, because only you and God know the answer ultimately. Because I'll tell you what, you hide nothing from God. Nothing. God showed me a vision one time. I was sitting at dinner with some Christian friends and and I was in the wrong, and I'm just going to confess my sin right away. The brother who had invited us there, normally when you go to somebody's house, always the, usually the brother that it's his abode, he normally prays. But this, this group of people, they really highly exalted me. They honored me a lot. And I didn't, I, didn't like, I didn't live in that, but I just knew they did. And he asked me, he said, you know, brother, can you pray and can you bless our meal? So as I was sitting there, I, I closed my eyes, and I, boy, that pride was just rearing its ugly head. I thought, oh, man, I, now all these boy, look at how they look at me. Wow, that's so awesome. And oh Lord God, and I was just so happy. And then right there, God humbled me right on the spot. I saw judgment day. I kid you not. I had a vision of judgment day right then and there. And here's what humbled me to the point, oh, I repented, boy, I've never been back there. I saw every person lined up before the throne of God. And here's what got me the most. We were all clear as glass. We were all clear as crystal glass. And what does that mean? God's gaze went through every one of us. It didn't just look on the outside of us. It looked through us. Wow. That means that you can't hide anything from God. He sees through every facade, every false idea, every fake or true heart condition. He sees through them all and he'll judge you on those things apart from Christ depending on where you are on that judgment day. Please answer these questions for yourself honestly again because you can't hide anything from God. And if your life doesn't match up with the things I just talked about, then please don't be deceived and insist in yourself, no, I'm saved anyway, that pastor's wrong. You know, maybe some preacher told you that you prayed this prayer and then all of a sudden you were saved. Please, listen to the words of Jesus, not your pastor, unless he's teaching the things of God. I had this conversation with this guy at work last week and he talked about how he was searching and he was seeking. And, and I said, oh, well, you know, what'd you find? Oh, well, we're all the same. And then, well, what about you? And we got talking about his pastor at the time. He said, oh, well, my pastor, when, you know, I, I said, well, what did he tell you about, you know, seeking and searching? He said, oh, you know, just be yourself. <laughs> be yourself. A pastor. Just be yourself. Be yourself. Let's, let's see. What did, what did Jesus say? Jesus, if anyone desires to come after me, he must deny himself. Whoa, that's not be yourself. Deny yourself. Pick up your cross and follow after me. Be yourself? Biblically? That's not a pastor, guys. No, be yourself. Jesus, Peter, and John said, repent and be converted. Don't be yourself. Turn to God and let him make you new. And don't wait, God says. God longs for you to come to a beautiful relationship with him. But you must first turn to Christ and you must surrender today. You can't be yourself and continue to be yourself. You have to turn to Christ and and let him make you who he wants you to be. That's true salvation. And that's where... Times of refreshing in the Lord will come. God loves you so much, and He wants to save you. But many will come to Him in that day and say, Lord, Lord, have I not done all these wonderful things in Your name? And He say, I, I'm sorry, 
I never knew you. And that doesn't mean, according to his ego, that he never really knew you, because God knows everybody, guys. God knows everybody. It means that you were his, or whether you weren't his or were his, doesn't matter. At that point in time, you had either walked away from him or never known him, and he said, I never knew you. You didn't ever become mine, or, or you're not mine now. Be gone. You practice lawlessness. So don't be yourself. Surrender to Christ. That your sin may be blotted out. And that you may be refreshed and know what real peace is. Let's pray. Thank you so much, Lord God, for your word today. Thank you so much, Lord God, for your love. Thank you so much, Lord God, for the truth. Lord God, thank you so much that the truth is here, Lord God. So many places and so many people that I talk to, Lord God, that don't have the truth, but they think they have the truth, Lord God. And it's, a, it's an I think truth, Lord God, or well, according to me, truth, Lord God, but it's not the truth, Lord God. The, your word is not, Lord, their truth, and your word is my truth, Lord God. And oh boy, Lord God, that's all I need. I need your word and I need your truth, and thank you for that. Thank you that you give us the words to eternal life and they don't come through anybody else. We love you and we praise you, Lord God. I pray, Lord God, that that these miracles that I preached on today, of course, would never be the focus of anybody's focus, Lord God. I pray that you, Lord, these miracles would be turning people to you, Lord God, turning people to how great you are, not because of the miracles, Lord God, but because we need to be saved. We need to be saved from our sins. We need to have new life because just being ourselves will lead us to hell. God, help those that are listening today or those that will ever hear this message ever anywhere, Lord God. I pray that you would help them turn away from themselves, Lord God, and turn to you. And those of us that are yours, Lord God, I pray that we would continue in that path, humble and just sold out to Christ, Lord God, growing more and more in that every single day and not ever backsliding, not ever turning around and walking away from that, Lord God, to an unsafe place. For only those that abide in Christ until the end, Lord God, shall be saved. Thank you, Lord God. And I ask and pray all these things in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen.